I want to talk about something today. I want to read this little passage. And this is, we're going to be in the same passage that, that I ended with last time. But I want to talk about something in particular here. So I'm going to read this in Acts chapter 9. Starting with verse 15, the Lord is speaking to Ananias and he says, But the Lord said to him, he says, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Father, this morning, God, it is my prayer, Lord, that, Lord, that you would pour out your grace And your spirit, the power of your spirit, God, I need today. Lord, that your your word would be clear. That our eyes would be open to see. That we would have ears to to hear. A mind to comprehend and and a heart to receive what you say. Father, I pray that in all these things, God, today, that, um, that you would get glory for yourself. Your word would be proclaimed and that Christ would be exalted. We pray that your will would be done, nothing more and nothing less. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to us this morning about when we read there that that to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've been paying attention as we've gone through the book of Acts, but it has mentioned being filled with the Holy Spirit a number of times. Now, one thing about this phrase right here, it is one of the most controversial and one of the most debated, I guess you could say, topics amongst professing believers. And it's it's either usually taught wrongly or it's not taught at all. That's usually the two sides that we get. This is what D.L. Moody said. He said, the spirit is the first power that we practically experience, but the last power that we come to understand. And I might add this, that we come to understand properly. In the book of Acts, just the phrase filled with the spirit, we find seven times. We find it in in chapter 2, verses 2 and 4. In verse in chapter four, verses eight and thirty-one, here in nine seventeen, also in chapter thirteen, verses nine and fifty-two, we also find that they were full of the Spirit when they were choosing out the deacons. It says, "Choose out men who are full of the Spirit." And then later, when Stephen's preaching and he's about to be martyred, it said, "Stephen, being full of the Spirit, looked up." And saw the heavens open. So what is it? Why would why would we want to stay away from this? Well, 
And, and, and here's the question. Well, what is it to be filled with the Spirit? Well, in order to understand that, let me first start with what it is not to be. What, what not filled with the Spirit is. Things that are, are out there that people say, I'm filled with the Spirit. But let's just look at this. I want you to know today, and this first one I'm going to list is something that can be or was something that was people were filled with the Spirit. But what do we hear most of the time when somebody says, I was filled with the Spirit? Speaking in tongues. Well, I want you to know something. There's, I have an asterisk by this one in the sense of this. When the early church, when they spoke in tongues, you need to understand this, they spoke in known languages throughout the world at that time. They were not speaking something that no one had ever heard before. They were not speaking some, and I'm not making fun, but some kind of babbling gibberish type thing. They were speaking languages that they had never learned, but they were speaking it, and other people that knew the languages knew what they were saying. Or like in Acts 2, I don't know what they were, I don't know if they were speaking their language, and in the ears of the hearers, they were hearing it in their own language. I don't know exactly how it was. What I do know is that they were speaking in tongues, and all the hearers said, how is it that we hear this in our own native tongue or language? Filled with the Spirit is not being slain in the Spirit. Slain in the Spirit is where people will stand up and they will fall on their back. And people are supposed to catch them. Sometimes that does not happen. But another term is this, pickling. I've heard one man say we were pickling in the Spirit. I want to say something about those two things in particular. Both of those things have to do with death. If something is pickled, it's usually dead. And if something is slain, it's usually dead. The Spirit is, is life. I have heard of people saying that they were puking in the Spirit. Now, I actually put these in the wrong order because the next one is I've been drunk in the Spirit. I would think that if you were drunk in the Spirit, the puking would follow just like it typically does when someone is drunk to excess. I believe I've heard people talk about vegging in the spirit, laughing in the spirit, rolling in the spirit. That's where they're physically on the floor rolling, running, jumping, and dancing. Now, there's another one I've got listed on here. People were barking in the spirit at one thing. And what they did was they went back in history and they grabbed some of the great revivals where it was recorded that these people went out and they were barking. They were filled with the Spirit. But you have to understand what that's talking about. People were broken over their sin. And it was, the, word, the term barking was that you're broken in your, and it's like their head is against a tree upon its bark. That's what they were talking about. They were not talking about sounding like an animal. So not, And those are easy ones. Those are not what it is to be filled with the Spirit. It is also not, now listen to this, it is also not creeds, it is not confessions, it is not councils, it is not a seminary degree, it is not understanding Reformed theology. All of these things can be and are good and they can be and are helpful, but they cannot replace the filling of the Holy Spirit. 
John Stott. Now, you want to talk about a theologian and an intellectual man? This is what John Stott says. What we need is not more learning, not more eloquence, not more persuasion, not more organization, but more power from the Holy Spirit. Have you ever wondered why the church seems powerless? I mean, we live in a time when at the click of a button, all of the works that has been recorded down through the stream of time that we can look at in history, it's there. All the hours that Matthew Henry wrote and, and put in where we can re- we can just click on it and we don't like him, we can go over here to, you know, to John Gill or, or whatever. We can just click, click, click. It's just right there. But yet, what do we see? Do we see the power of the Holy Spirit working in the church? Warren Wiersbe says this, It is futile for us to try to serve God without the power of the Holy Spirit. Talent, training, and experience cannot take the place of the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, I want to say this, the, the filling of the Spirit also is not, and there would be people that would argue this, but the way I understand it, we're going to say it like that today, okay, because I'm me. It is not the baptism of the Spirit. I believe this is what happens at salvation. In, in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, it says, for by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. In that sense, every believer has been baptized in the Spirit. Now, I do understand that in the book of Acts, we see where when, when people were saved and it was manifested with a, a speaking in tongues and, and, and things like that, and, and Peter even referred to it that as the baptism of the Spirit, it was still something that was always associated with coming into Christ, being born again. The indwelling of the Spirit... Now, the indwelling is where the Holy Spirit abides with us. Listen to this. John 14, verses 15 and 16, he says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth. In Ephesians 1, 13b and 14a, You were sealed... With the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. So, the baptism of the Spirit is when we come into Christ, and then the indwelling is as we're going through life, we have all the Spirit we're ever going to have. Well, that's a good start. But what is the filling of the Holy Spirit, and how are we to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I want you to turn your Bibles, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 5. I just want to say one thing. I heard a little baby crying somewhere. I want you all to know that is a a good sound. I know it can get a little crazy, but we are truly blessed with children in our church. They are a blessing and not a burden. So I want especially all the moms to know that today. 
I want to read a verse and I want to give a backdrop. Listen to this. In, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, he says, And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation or debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, I want to give you the backdrop of what this is. In Ephesians 1, this is what we, we were told. We were told that we were, and I'm going to go through these quickly. Don't You don't got to turn there. But we were blessed. We were chosen by God. We were predestined. We were adopted. We were accepted. We were redeemed. We were forgiven. We received an inheritance. And we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. In chapter 2, he says we've been shown mercy, been given grace. We've been saved. We've been placed in the family of God. And we are now the dwelling place of God. And also there in chapter 3, he tells us that we are fellow heirs. The first three chapters... Our doctrine is to what God has done for us, His people. In chapter 4, we are told to walk worthy. He's saying, every, in light of everything that's been done for you, walk in a, in a way that is worthy. We just sang the song, He is worthy. Walk in a way that, 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 that he is worthy. We are told to, to walk worthy. We are told to put off the old man. We are told to put on the new man. And then we're told this. We are told to not grieve the Holy Spirit. And then we come into chapter 5 and he says we are told to walk in love. We are told to walk in light. We are told to walk in wisdom. And we come to this place. Down here where he now says, be filled with the Spirit. I want to ask you something. When you go back and you're looking at those things that were, what has been done for us and how we're to walk, does anybody in here feel a little bit overwhelmed? Has anybody ever prayed and says, oh Lord, I want to be more like Jesus, and you no more than leave that, and you go about your daily life and you're in an argument with somebody on the, on the highway having some road rage. And we say, Who was it? Augustine? Lord, command what you will and grant what you command. Has anybody ever had problems and issues with things like over here where he says, speaking truth with one another with your neighbor? How many of us have been angry and sinned? I think some people believe that we have inherited the righteousness of Christ that when we get angry, that's a righteous anger. I've been told that one. I'm going to tell you something. That does not make your anger righteous. Just because you get mad doesn't make it righteous anger. He says, be angry and don't sin. He says, give no place to the devil. If you stole, steal no more. Now, people are saying, I don't steal, but what about our taxes that are coming up pretty quick? Oh, so tempting, isn't it? He goes on, he says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. Let that be what you impart, and you impart grace to the hearers. He says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He says, let all bitterness, bitterness, now that's, that's a tough one, isn't it? It's so easy for that to get in. He says, let all bitterness, wrath, wrath, anger, clamor, all these things, he says, Let it not be once named among you. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And now we're over here and he says, be filled with the Spirit. Corey Ten Boom says this. I got a lot of quotes today. 
She says, trying to do the Lord's work in your own strength is the most confusing, exhausting, and tedious of all work. But when you are filled with the Spirit, then the ministry of Jesus just flows out of you. Have you ever been trying to to serve the Lord? You're trying to do the works of God. It could be just in your daily life, at your job, at, at school. It could be being a mother at home. And you're... And you're not filled with the Spirit. You're, you're not been in prayer. You've not been in the Word. And, and it's just, it's just exhausting and it's overwhelming and you're frustrated and all those things. The sermon right now is frustrating, isn't it? Let's understand this. What is the definition of being filled? Well, the Greek word, is plirao, I'm going to guess there. I think that's the way I would say it. Now, you want, to, you want to understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit, to understand this word? Here it is, to be full. That's the Greek, to, to fill up. Not, nothing, nothing really big there on that definition, is it? It's just simply this. But it carries the idea of being led by or controlled by something. The scripture talks about they were filled with anger. They were filled with jealousy. What, when you're filled with anger, what happens? Have you ever dealt with somebody angry and you're not? And, you're, and you say, now look, just calm down. It sounds simple enough, doesn't it? Does it work? No, that anger is controlling what they're doing and what they're saying. Now, none of the spouses look at each other right now, okay? Don't do that. Filled with jealousy. It controls what you do. What about those that were filled with peace? Man, isn't it, isn't it an incredible thing to be filled with peace? And listen, it controls everything that you're going to do. I'm not talking about like this mystical, robotic, like, oh, I just feel peace. You know, it's not that. Filled with joy. I love being around people that are filled with peace and joy. One thing it does, it shows that I'm not. I get angry and jealous over those things. No. It makes you want to be like that. So let's, let's just do this real quick. In Ephesians chapter 5, he tells us this. He says, in verse 15, he says, See then that you walk circumspectly, or, or he says, not as fools, but as wise. He's saying you need to walk in wisdom. In 16, he says, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. And therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He doesn't want us just going through life not understanding. He wants us to walk in a way that, that we're observing the things around us. And as we're observing those things, we're walking in wisdom. We're walking the way that a Christian should walk. And we're dealing with people and things in a way that would honor God. And then he says this. He says, do not be drunk with wine... In which is dissipation 
or debauchery if you got the ESV. To be drunk with wine, to be controlled by it. You ever you ever dealt with somebody who's drunk? That's fun. You got happy drunks. They're hugging you. They're just happy, happy, right? You got sad drunks. No matter what you say, they just cry. You got angry drunks. No matter what happens, they just want to fight. Their life, there's no focus to it. It's just ruin and misery is what their life is. But he contrasts that. He says, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, this is not saying where we get this false idea of what it is to be filled with the Spirit. See, we're to be drunk with the Spirit. No, he did not say that. He said, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Not drunk, filled with the Spirit. I I, I, I cannot for the life of me understand when people teach about being filled with the Spirit. They say, you've just got to empty your mind. You've got to empty your thoughts and come in and just... And it's just this mystical weirdness. It's just kind of hazy. You know, who knows what it is? Just kind of floating around and bam, it jumps on you and... And then you're barking and puking and rolling and all these things that other people are doing. I've seen a couple of guys one time. I was in a little service, if you want to call it that. This stuff started taking place. I know I've been told all weekend long how mean I look and stuff like that. And uh, sometimes it's good. And I'll tell you why. As we were in this meeting, all of a sudden, these friends of mine, guys that I thought I knew pretty good, all of a sudden, man, they're falling back, they're on their back, and I look over at them, and they're just looking at each other, they're giggling like a couple little girls. These men are in their 50s. And I'm going, what is going on? Now, when the the person that's putting all this on everybody comes to me, this is where it's good to look like me. I just have this look on me like, I dare you. And you know what? They always just bypass me. <laughs> I asked them later. I said, why, why, did you, why were you down there? And this was the answer. Well, everybody else was doing it. Everybody else was doing it. Can I tell you something? To empty your mind is not to be filled with the Spirit. You're opening yourself up to all kinds of nonsense. I want you to picture something for a moment. I want you to picture if, if we were to come in here today and all of a sudden, you know, Randy Tyler walks in and, and man, he's just kind of, he's just, he's staggering and he's slurring and, whoo, he, man, you're like, man, what has this dude been drinking, right? That would be disturbing, would it not? Well, let me ask you this. What if I walked in today? It was like, man, Ron's late. What's been going on? Well, then you find out what's going on, man. He comes up to the pulpit and he's got to hang on to it because he is highly intoxicated. That would be a sin, though, wouldn't it? H.B. Charles said this about this right here. He said, as much as it would be a sin to be drunk with wine or any kind of alcoholic beverage, it is just as much a sin, if not more so, For a Christian to not be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is going to be a tall task. And much more for a man to approach the pulpit not filled with the Spirit of God. 
Now think about that one for a moment. This is not just some phrase in the Bible that says, hey, let's be filled with the Spirit. No, there's a reason. There's, a, there's, a, there's an actual thing that God wants from His people. And not just for them, but with a purpose. So let's do this. What are the characteristics? Well, let's just look right here. He says, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he says this, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, it's amazing to me how that we can grab a verse like that, we can isogeet it, pull it out of what it's really saying here, and say, well, we shouldn't sing anything but the psalms. And we should use no music. I mean, I, I'm, I'm so tired of these, these debates and these arguments. What is he really saying here? Be filled with the Spirit. Here's what it's going to look like when somebody is filled with the Spirit. He's saying, speak to one another. And he's not just talking about reading them. He says, in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs. And we're going to be singing and, and making melody in your heart to the Lord. We want to be filled with the Spirit. And, and, and out of that flows this singing. And, and it doesn't say that, that you will be a good singer. Some of you are. Some of us are not. I'm going to tell you something. Some of my favorite songs I've ever heard were sung by people who weren't great singers. And it's not that I like bad singing. But when you see somebody who is filled with the Spirit of God singing to God and they don't care what you think about it in the nicest way, it resonates with you. It sticks. So the first thing is this, singing. Look what he says next. He says in verse 20, giving thanks always. Giving thanks always. Do, listen, people that are filled with the Spirit, they do give thanks I mean, they're, I mean, it, it's just, it, they're thankful for, for everything. But he says, thankful, be, give thanks always and for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do we do that? Well, yeah, when things are good. Man, we got a new house, we got a new car, got a new job, got lots of money. Thank you, Lord. But can we thank Him? When we're going through health problems like Brother Wayne, can we go, can we, can we be thankful going through the trials that Sherry is going through with her, her parents and their illnesses? When we see those things, I'm going to tell you something. The only way you can do that is when you're filled with the Spirit of God. That's the only way. Because otherwise, you're going to look to yourself. You're going to look at all this, and you're going to have this thing start coming up like, why me? Why do I have to go through this? Why aren't they going through this? Next thing you know, there's going to be anger. There's going to be bitterness. There's going to be jealousy. There's going to be envy. There's going to be those things that what fills you up. So singing and giving thanks, and then he says this. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Submitting to one another. I, 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 am, I am tired 
of the idolatry that we do in Reformed camps with, with men, just men, that God has given a platform to. Okay? What am I saying? Guys that we know, everybody in here knows. Guys that you will, you will test what I say. You will test what Randy or Justin or Paul or whoever else preaches and make sure that John Piper's saying the same thing or John MacArthur or Vody Bauckham or whoever. Do you not understand they are men that God has given a platform on a much larger scale? That's all. And I'm going to tell you this. If they're preaching and they're not doing it filled with the Spirit, then I don't even want it anyway. I don't care how great their knowledge is or understanding and all that. What we need is we need Spirit-filled Christians preaching Spirit-filled messages. That's what we need. So that's what he tells us here, these characteristics. If you will, flip over just a book back to chapter 5 of Galatians. And I don't know why I'm so loud today. I'm just, I don't know. I'm not angry, I promise you. Here in Galatians 5, he has talked about what the works of the flesh are. And then in verse 22, he gives us what the fruit of the Spirit is. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, long-suffering, kindness. One time my wife, her and I were going through um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient and kind. We only made it to point two, and she says, can't you just be kind? I know y'all are laughing, but she wasn't. And I started thinking about it. I thought, I don't know. I don't seem to be. But this is what he says the fruit of the Spirit is. It's kind, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And he says, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, this is where, this is where it, gets, it gets really hard to understand, right? We're reading this list. Now, I want to ask you, don't raise your hand, but just in your own mind, how did you measure up right there? Well, I want you to know something. Nobody is permanently filled with the Spirit. Nobody is permanently filled with the Spirit. Somebody asked D.L. Moody one time, they asked him, he said, Brother, do you believe you're filled with the Spirit? And he goes, Yes, but I leak. But I leak. And we do. You see, to be filled with the Spirit would be You could pretty much just say that's to walk in the Spirit. Now, when we read these things, I'm probably even more overwhelming you like I did me as I studied this. As I'm studying, I'm like, I just keep spiraling downward. I'm hoping there's some hope here for me. Well, I want you to know something. See, here's where my battle lies. Well, I, I I can read this list, and then Boyd can come along, and I can say, ah, here's this guy again. Okay, I'm going to be kind. 
So I'm kind, but on the inside, I don't really feel it, right? I'm so I'm being loving, but I'm not really feeling it on the inside. Anybody ever felt like that besides me? You don't got to raise your hand. You can, yeah. There are some people. Okay, listen to me. Thank God, first of all, that you noticed that. Then what do we do? He's, God says, listen what he says. He says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and you acknowledge, God, I see this. I see the characteristics of what it would look like to be walking in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. But I don't feel it's a reality right here. And your prayer is going to sound a lot like Augustine's, Lord, command what you will, but grant to me the ability to perform what you've commanded me. There's more to this. Now look at this. So what do we, let's just wrap up this in Galatians. We see where love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We're to crucify the flesh. We're to walk in the Spirit. Now, if you would, flip over to Colossians chapter 3. Now, I want you to know something about Colossians and Ephesians. They're like the twin, the twin epistles. The book of Ephesians is written to us primarily focusing on the church as the body of Christ. The book of Colossians is written to us primarily showing us that Christ is the head of the body. And at the, at the middle of both books, we have that turning point. We go from doctrine and theology, now we go to practice. We go to application. So in chapter 3, he talks about all these things. He talks about if, if we've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on the things of the earth. Then he goes into this, what we are to put to death. All these things, these these, these feelings and all this stuff that just is of our flesh. These jealousies, these angers, these evil speaking, all of this stuff. He says, put it to death. And then he does this. He comes down to, to verse 12. And this is what he says to put on. And, and this is going to be in the same theme as what we've been on. The characteristics of what it is to be filled with the Spirit. He says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, put on kindness, put on humility, meekness, long-suffering. There's a word, long-suffering. How long does long-suffering last from your perspective to somebody who's really a trial for you? Usually it's like this, man, you get a good spiritual frame of mind. It is, it's amazing. It always starts with God, I just, God, I just want you to bring some fellowship into my life. Now we've got in our mind who we, who we want, but all of a sudden this person comes. Man, they're, they, they're just really trying. And they've got all this baggage and all these problems and all these things and, but you're being very spiritual, and you, you, you help them. You give them good advice, good counsel. That ought to do the trick, right? Well, they're back with the same stuff as last time. It's like, did you not hear all that really good 
counsel I gave you? Okay, I'll, I'll do it again. I'll, I'm going to suffer along with you. Third time, though? I mean, really? Four times? And we're just kind of, I'm done here. Well, here's, here's the way you answer long-suffering. Has anyone in here ever struggled with any trial that, it, that God was very long-suffering with you in? Well, here's the rule of thumb. However long that you would like God to suffer with you, to be patient with you, then why don't you apply that to the people that he's told you to be long-suffering towards? As Bodhi says, if you can't say amen, say ouch, right? So this long-suffering, oh, and that's for me, too. I'll just say it, ouch. He says, now he says, to bear with one another and forgive one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfect perfection, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. To which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Now, now, up to this point, this is what we have, right? We are to put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, forgiveness, love, and peace. Now, all of this is what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. That's what, it, that's what a person would look like if, if, they were, if, if they were filled with the Spirit of God and they're just living their life. Now, I want to ask you a question. To be filled with the Spirit, is it for certain people or is it for all of God's people? It's for all of God's people. Now, remember, Ephesians and Colossians are these, these parallel books, right? Now, in Ephesians, at this point, he says, be filled with the Spirit. Here, listen to what he says. We're going to look at the how. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Do you realize that you cannot separate being filled with the Spirit of God and dwelling in the Word of God? Richly. You cannot let the word of Christ. You cannot separate those two things. Listen to what he says in Ephesians there later on when he's talking about the armor. Listen to this. He talks about putting on the armor. And then he says this. He says, take the helmet of salvation. This is in 517. Take the helmet of salvation. And then he says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You cannot separate that. So let me ask you something now. Does anybody in here feel like, man, I just don't feel like I'm filled with the Spirit if this is what it is, if this is what it looks like? Well, I want to ask you a question. How much time do you spend in the Word of God? I talked about this Wednesday. I talked about prayer Wednesday, but talked about how the relation, your prayer should be flowing out of your reading of the Word of God. In your reading, you need to be, you need to be memorizing it. You need to be studying it. You need to be preparing in these things, meditating on the Word of God. Meditating. You know what that word means? 
You're going around talking to yourself like a crazy person almost, except this isn't crazy. What does it mean when you're talking to yourself? You're reading God's word. You may be reading about being filled with the Spirit, and you're just thinking, like, God, what does it mean? Show me what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And that's going to lead to what? What you're doing. You're going to be coming to Him in prayer. And saying, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to ask you something. What in the world would this church look like if everyone was filled with the Spirit of God? If every time we preached, we were filled with the Spirit of God? You see, all of these things increases everything about you. So much of the time we walk around and our faith is just ebb and flow. I mean, it's just, it's just like that. Let me ask you a question. Why? Why are you fearful to engage the lost in evangelism? Why? Because you probably have not applied yourself to the Word of God the way that you should. I'm not picking on you. But I am saying this is it. Let me put it to you this way. Anybody in here that's gone to school that has a degree in something and they know their subject well. My brother, he's a chiropractor. Now, he's better nowadays, but in the early days, he talked to us in language like, well, it looks like your C4 may be a little bit out over here to the left, and the C3 is doing this. And I'm like, Pfft. I don't mean nothing to me. Here's the thing. He knew what he was talking about. He could. He wanted to help you if your back was messed up. And I mean, he really likes to help people in this. He knew what he was talking about. If you don't know the Word of God, it puts a fear in you to try to tell somebody about something you really don't know much about. And it's amazing to me that the people who oppose... Brady Brewer said he's a street preacher, pastor. Here's the thing. The people that oppose us the most when we do that are not the unbelievers. It's those who profess to be believers. And they'll say, what you're doing is wrong. Why? Well, these people are getting mad at you. Okay. They got mad at Jesus to the point they crucified him. They got mad at Peter and John to the point they threatened him and then beat him. I don't know. We seem to be in pretty good company right now. Can you give me another reason why it's wrong? So then you do this, you say, well, I'll tell you what, we'll stop. Show us how you evangelize and we'll do that. Well, I just believe in just living a good life, you know, just going about and people will just notice it. Really? So you're just walking around here with this aura around you, this glow, and people are just so attracted to you that they just want to be a Christian now. Think we'll stick with what we're doing. And I'm exaggerating a bit, but that has been said. Listen to this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And then he goes back to this again. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Does it sound familiar to what we read in Ephesians? 
And he says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God, to God, the father through him. This is now, listen, what I want, what I want to bring you to is this. Here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to disappoint you right now. If you've been waiting for me to show you the passages, he says, now, right here is how you are filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no passage that says that. But what I can tell you is this. When we go to the book of Acts, now listen. Remember, when we started Acts, and that was a long time ago, but you remember, we, we call it, it's commonly called the, the book, the Acts of the Apostles. That's probably not the best name for the book of Acts. The book of Acts should be this. It should be the Acts or the actions of the Holy Spirit through His people. That's what the book of Acts is really about. And what do you find in the book of Acts over and over and over again? You find that people are devoted to the Word of God. Do you remember in Acts 2.42? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, or in the ESV it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, I think, or doctrine. And it ends that. You got bookends with the Word and you got the other end with prayer. You see in the book of Acts, what were they doing? Jesus told them, here's the Word telling them what to do. And they go there. And what are they doing? They're waiting. They're waiting for the promise. And what do they do? They are praying. All 120 of the believers, they're, they're praying. The men, the women together. And then what do they do? They go from this and they preach the Word of God. Now, here's what I'm trying to tell you. I hear so much, I see so many arguments about our country, about our churches, about how things are going to change. We got so many arguments, so many ideas. We've got to be more knowledgeable. We've got all those things I listed that are not the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me say this again. Not that crazy list, but those other lists are good things. We do want to learn. We do want to have knowledge. We do want to have training. We want to have those things. But if your confidence and your trust is in that, you will have no power in your ministry. Do you understand that today? The greatest theologian out there, if he's not trusting in the Spirit of God to work through him, if he is not pouring himself into the Word of God, if he is not pouring himself into prayer, that he would be filled with the Spirit of God to do God's work, it will come to naught. Do we get that today? I don't care how smart or how educated we get. And again, I'm not saying be a dummy. I'm not saying that. But you have to be filled with the Spirit of God. You know, in Reformed camps, I've often wondered, I thought, how is it some of our Reformed brothers get a free pass and everybody likes them? A.W. Tozer? Close, but not quite there. How does A.W. Tozer get a free pass? Because I believe that man was filled with the Spirit of God. How is it some sermons stand out like no others? 
Do you know that when Paul Washer preached the shocking youth message, a week later he's flying to Romania. He's telling another pastor about this disastrous weekend he had at this youth camp in Alabama. He told him how horrible it was. What was going on? Told him about his sermon. They told him he would never be back there. The people that put it on, they were furious with him. And a few years later, somebody stumbled across this, uploaded it to the Internet, and I don't know how many millions of views it has. I was talking with this brother here, and I was talking with Nathan Cross Wednesday night. I said, how did you get to this point? And Paul Washer's name comes up, and this sermon comes up. I said, yeah, that's my testimony too. You see, being filled with the Spirit is not always doing what everybody thinks is the thing to do. That's not always it. Now, how in the world does all this have to do... I'm supposed to be preaching out of the book of Acts, right? Listen to this. Ananias, this is 9.17. Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road... The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me to you that you may receive your sight. He'd been blinded at that point and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. And when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus and listen to this. And immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Let me tell you something about being filled with the Spirit. This is my own personal testimony. Most of the time, if you ask somebody, hey, could you preach on this, you know, in January, at the end of January, and they have a few little weeks to prepare, it's like, yeah, that's great. It's quite another thing when you get a call on a Sunday morning. Whoever was supposed to preach can't preach. And you go to the Lord in prayer and say, God, I need, I need some grace here. Well, let me tell you something. Someone who's filled with the Spirit is someone who is also filled with the Word of God. We've, I think we've demonstrated that. When you're filled with God's Word... And God's Spirit, the indwelling Spirit, is in you, and you are filled with it. Now, I want, you, I want to keep one thing. I want to tell you one thing real quick. Remember, the indwelling of the Spirit is not the filling of the Spirit. The very one, the Holy Spirit, caused men to write, men who were 
indwelt by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, telling us to be filled with the Spirit, right? Is that too, that too crazy? The Holy Spirit's the one who's telling us to be filled with the Spirit. And so, when we, now I did exactly what I hoped not to do. What was I saying before that anybody remember? Nobody? Say it louder. Okay, we were talking about spirit-filled preacher, but that didn't help me. Short-term, thank you. I knew we would get there. Sometimes you need a little help. So here's the deal. What happens is this. Sometimes you go into a place and you're preaching. You may even be on the text that you're preaching about. And in the middle of this, God takes it another direction. You've got to know when God is doing that. That's spirit-filled preaching. You may go... I went into a prison. I was telling some men this other night. I went into a prison one night. I had my sermon prepared. It was ready to go. I'm at the pulpit. I see some prisoners back there kind of arguing. That can always be dangerous, right? They call me over there, which could be worse. But I go over there, and this guy, they said, Hey, this guy's saying that, that we serve the same God as the, as the, as the Muslims do. That's not right, is it? I said, no, it's not right. He's like, no, no, we just use different names. I said, that's not right. At that very moment, God said, we're not preaching what you planned on tonight. We're preaching on this. Now, am I always filled with the Spirit? No. No. But after these past few days... Just meditating and, and studying and preaching about prayer. And we've had so much teaching lately on pour yourself into the Word of God. I can see and feel and know where God has ignited a fire afresh in me for His Word, for prayer. And my prayer is this, God, I need to be filled with your Holy Spirit. Because if we want to see power come into the church, and I'm not talking, listen, those phrases, you just don't even want to use them because of what the charismatic nonsense has done. But if we want to see true power in the church today, if you want to see that kind of power change the country, change the governments, you need to be filled with the Spirit. You need to be have preachers that are filled with the Spirit of God as they preach. And that's when change is going to come. How do I know that? Well, let me ask you this. Where is the greatest work going on in the world today? It's not in America. China. That's one of them. It's in the places where the oppression is the greatest. That's where we're seeing more Christians come to faith, more people come to faith than anywhere else in the world. And guess what? They have no one in government. They have no one to protect them. But what they do have is they have people who are reading the Word of God, who are preaching the Word of God by the Spirit of God, and the devil cannot stop that. Do we get that today? That's what we need. Now, with that being said, I am not saying that we don't want people in our politics. We don't want people in education. Or we don't, there's none of that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you get that backwards and you have nothing. 
You get that in the right order, and you will see things change. And I want to encourage you today, if you're a believer, because here's the steps to being filled with the Spirit. First of all, you have to be born again. If you're not born again, there's no way. You have to be born again. You have to be baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. And at that point, you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. At that point, as you read the Word of God, and you come to Ephesians chapter 5, and he says, be filled with the Spirit, and he says, and here's what it's going to look like, that needs to translate into your prayer. And when all of that happens, God has purposed every bit of this with a goal. And primarily that goal is to glorify Him, and in how we would detail that out, it is done through the evangelism the preaching of the gospel to the lost, and it is the discipling of the saved to go and do the same thing. That's what it is to be filled with the Spirit of God. I pray that God would bless each one of you today.